Hello again, everybody. Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Mastery Podcast. This is going to be part two of our interview with Matt Terrio from Epic Real Estate Investing, his podcast. Um, if you haven't already, make sure you go back and listen to the previous episode where we interviewed him before. Uh, it's going to be a short and sweet introduction because I want to dive right into the part two of this interview with Matt. And again, if you haven't been to our website yet, go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. Check it out. Uh, we have all of our social media links and stuff like that that you can follow us there. And we got show notes and we got transcriptions of the episodes. And of course, we have our award winning, just kidding, Fast Cash Survival Kit. We have about four, five, six hours of video content of how we do our business, how we flip real estate, how we use virtual assistants, how we do our marketing, and how important marketing is. It's just really good, killer content. And Alex and I keep on asking ourselves, seriously, why are we doing this for free? We should be charging for this. So it's really good content. I think you'll get a lot out of it. If you have not downloaded that Fast Cash Survival Kit yet, you've got to do it. You really do. And it's free. So, and it comes with a money back guarantee. If you don't like it, we'll give you your money back. All right. But anyway, let's dive right into this interview part two with Matt Terrio. I think you'll get a lot out of this. Uh, go all the way through to the end. I mean, he's got some, at the end, we have the three main questions he asks sellers, which is really, really key. So take care and enjoy the rest of this episode. See ya. Talk about how many units you do own right now, Matt, and, and how many. What is your goal for how many you want to own? Yeah, I've got forty-two right now. Okay. And forty-two doors. That'll counting these. These fourteen I'm just picking up today. My goal. Here's my goal. I have a dream board. I'm one of those guys that creates the dream boards, and I got everything that I want surrounding me. So I'm always in touch with what I'm after and what I'm going after. Yeah. And uh, I know I am going to to feel like I have arrived once I have my infinity pool in Malibu, looking over the ocean. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> and I found a house there that has that, and it's about a three or four million dollar house, mm -hmm. but it was for rent, and it rented for six thousand. Yeah. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to, as soon as I'm done with this building in Memphis, I'm going to refi and go do it again and refi and go do it again. And that's going to generate about six or $7,000 of cash flow for me. And then I'm going to go and rent that house. So something that I wouldn't want to buy. Cool. So that's kind of my goal right now. So I'm going to live on the cliff with the ocean view and my infinity pool looking over Malibu here within the next 12 months is my goal. Why not? Why not? <laughs> this is another thing that the, I learned that, you know, everyone absolutely must invest in real estate. You've got to. I mean, you just don't have a chance at any sort of financial freedom or any sort of retirement unless you do. You just have to. Yeah. It's what the, it's what the wealthy 1% of our country all have in common. They all got real estate in their portfolio. And there's two real reasons to own real estate. One is for the, the tax deductions and then the, uh, you know, the appreciation, the wealth preservation. Yeah. But nobody said that you had to live in the property that you owned, right? Mm -hmm. So I've got all of this real estate, but I still rent here in Pasadena because I can have all the benefits of real estate and a better lifestyle 
of where I actually live. Yeah. Because I can rent, and I don't know if it's this way across the country, but I can rent much nicer places to live in and live a much more comfortable life than I could afford to purchase here. Yeah, that's definitely the trend all across the country. Is it? Okay. Yeah, and probably more so in California, simply because you're right. You can rent. I mean, your mortgage payment on a couple million dollar house would probably be almost double of what you're going to be paying in rent. Yeah, yeah. That's about right because you got to put about forty to fifty percent down to, to just to break even on cash flow here. Jeez. Well, that's good for you, man. Forty-two units. Mm-hmm. How do you manage those? You have a property managers, but still things filter down to you. Is what's your typical day look like when you're managing that many properties? Oh, I don't manage. I I have someone that manages them for me. I've got on the, in the Illinois properties. I've got a few partners over there, so they're not all free and clear of mine. Okay. But we have a, a an organization set up that handles all that management. So you don't get calls. I know you do have a property manager, but you don't. So you still don't get calls on some of the bigger decisions and problems and things like that. I do, but uh, you know, let's see. Had a, the thing about Illinois is they have weather there. <laughs> yeah. And uh, you know, so and then in Detroit they have weather, and so we replace the roof. We'll have to do a couple water heaters or every winter in Illinois. But other than that, not really any big decisions. They handle the evictions if it's necessary and I just I've found that I like the blue collar towns in the Midwest. I they I don't know why, but they would just rather rent than own and if they want to rent my place, they're welcome to. What kind of numbers nice. are Cal- we have a lot of people here in the Midwest obviously listening to this mm-hmm. and are maybe interested in getting attracting some California investors. Mm-hmm. Whose deals they have in the Midwest? What kind mm-hmm. of numbers are California investors looking for in properties that cash flow like this? I have no problem wholesaling properties that cash flow twenty to twenty-five percent cash on cash. Okay. No problem there. I can still do you know eighteen, nineteen percent deals. And that's that's good. Fifteen percent. I mean, there's a lot of people that represent other areas of the like at the real estate investing clubs. There's a lot of people that represent other parts of the country that come to these clubs. And so even though 15% cash on cash is a smoking investment compared to what else you have available out there. Yeah. You know, a lot of people they see their little people's little flyers and you know, so they're kind of conditioned to see 20-25%. Now, is that cash on cash return? So if you're buying do you count financing into that? In other words, Yeah, yeah. That would be the money in. Let's see. And then you take your cash flow forget which way, way it goes. Well, that, you divide the, your cash flow, annual cash flow by the money in. But the money in depends on how much, if you're financing the property or right. buying it with cash. So how do you figure True. that part out? Most of the time, I'm able to arrange seller financing on the other end for my investors here. Okay. So they'll come in with five, ten thousand dollars $10,000 down on a $30,000, $35,000 property. And out of that, they'll cash flow 200, 300 bucks. And that gets them about a 25% cash, cash on cash return. So you're looking at maybe 20% down? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think you're spot on because it, the key to that all is having the resources and the relationships in those communities where the, the investors from California and even a lot of investors now coming from Canada, from overseas, mm-hmm. China. If you have the relationships with people that can manage the property, that can you know fix things that need to be fixed or rehab things or whatever, 
you have, really have a winning combination because those numbers are easy to get. Yeah. They, yeah. They're not that hard at all to get. Mm-hmm. Some of my properties in Danville, I mean, and people think I'm nuts for doing this, but I don't care. I'm still getting 25% return. I know I paid over what the market value was. Uh-huh. But I didn't care. I wasn't intending to flip the property. I just wanted my cash flow. And if it's a 25%, I'm good with that. So all of a sudden, I mean, those are easy deals to, to create. That blows me away because Danville is not even – that's, what, a suburb of Chicago or is it just its own city? Yeah, yeah it just happens to be where my friend lives. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Nice. Cool. Talk a little bit, uh, Matt, about marketing. It's a subject near and dear to my heart and Alex's mm-hmm. because leads are the lifeblood of your business. Right. What kind of marketing do you like to do that works for you? Well, I hate to beat this horse, but I'm, I'm very much a networker, uh-huh. and I use something called an audio business card as my fishing hook at real estate investing clubs. Someone asks me what I do, I always have one sentence that I pretty much say, and that's going to separate my prospects from my suspects. It's going to attract the right people that I'm looking for to me. And typically what I'll say is I, I show busy professionals how to build a real estate portfolio in their spare time so they can retire in the next three to five years. The only people that's going to really engage in the conversation, they're going to ask me more, first, busy professional. So a busy professional is someone that's probably got some capital. Yeah. And they're busy, so they're interested in doing this in their spare time. So they're going to be more of a hands-off investor, so they're not going to be all in my business while I'm, I'm doing their deal for them. I don't like to be micromanaged, and you can find, you find people like that. Yeah. And three, they're busy. They want to take the foot off the gas a little bit, and the thought of retirement in the next few years is uh, – that's a, an appealing <laughs> proposition to them. Nice. So I do that. That's kind of my thing. I show busy professionals how to build a real estate portfolio in their spare time, and so they can retire in the next three five years. That's my thing. That's where I get most of my deals. It's where I've created my database. That's um, building your investors to partner with, right? Correct. Partners and also my wholesale wholesale people. You know, both of those. The second thing is, you know, I started listening to uh, Sean Terry's podcast at the beginning of the year. Yeah. He teaches that yellow letter. He's a big proponent of it, and now I am as well. I'm a big advocate of the yellow letter, Good. and I get 10 to 15% response on that. What type About, of target list do you send that to? Almost predominantly, it's pre-foreclosure list. Wow, really? Really? Yeah. Notice the default There's a list. lot of no equity in that most of the time. Yes, but I, I've got a girlfriend that's amazing at negotiating short sales. Ah, so gotcha. we've made a, a bunch of money this year in the last couple of years on short sales when no one else has really been able to, to do that and where everybody else hates them. Right. So I don't have patience for short sales. And yes, we come across a lot of those so I can feed her the leads and then, and then she take, handles that. But, you know, I just got a, a, a four unit in Compton. That's a, well, that's a great off. area. It is. I'm telling you. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a student in Compton that has a deal he maybe he could wholesale you I don't know I hate Compton is NWA did that that whole city a real injustice really yeah Yeah, I mean there are some nice parts of Compton there are some respectable parts of Compton there's a lot of great awesome people that live in Compton and there's there's a little corner that's you know you don't want to drive through NWA would a a duplex (laughs) say 1600 square feet for 150,000 be an asinine price down there I really need to know what it rents for for me to even determine that gotcha yeah 
I need to well, know what the, we'll have the to email you. Uh, we'll have to email you after the uh, podcast is over and um, yeah, go ahead and see what you can see on that. Yeah, like duplexes and stuff like that. That triggers. I'm going to hold that one. So as long as I can get it to a point where it's cash flowing in it, then it would might make sense for me. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. Mm-hmm. The yellow letter, yes, we get a lot of upside down stuff, but you know, I just got a, a fourplex in Compton that the lady owned it free and clear paid off, but she just doesn't speak Spanish and she's got tired of trying to fill it with tenants and my girlfriend, <laughs> my girlfriend, Ablos, so <laughs> that's the perfect fit, you know? So we're able to arrange a seller financing deal on that. So she still, the seller still gets her cash flow and we get our cash flow and we manage the property. So that works out. Can I ask you a question about short sales in California? Sure. They take forever. Mm -hmm. Do you ever, maybe I should ask you this offline. (laughs) (laughs) Because I've been hearing people, I've been hearing stories of investors uh, renting houses out during the short sale process. Because because it takes so long. Oh, and just yeah. yeah. Should I ask you that offline? <laughs> no, no. It's, I know a way that that you can do that, and it would be technically legal. Right. Technically if, legal. Technically ah. legal. You wouldn't be breaking any laws. If you ever found yourself in court, the judge would probably you know look at you really funny. Right. And uh, who knows what? And they they always like to partner or side on the on the poor little person that's been hurt you know or even but, the, uh, the poor big bank yeah the yeah, poor big bank, the exactly. poor big bank. <laughs> right but i'll tell you a story that on one of my very first short sales it took about six seven months and we got it approved and we went over and on the day we got it approved and we we're gonna go clean it out a little bit before we put it back on the market and uh, there was somebody living in it wow and the people living in it they said they owned it they bought it they had a deed and everything. Wow. Someone had come across that these poor individuals and made some sort of transaction look like a legitimate transaction. And I said, well, did you guys go to escrow and title? And they were like, what's escrow and title? Holy cow. And I was like, oh, no. This person just stole my house. But the what you call it, the possession and tenancy rights in California are so much in favor of the tenants that – you know, we actually let that deal go. We didn't close on it because it was going to be such a hassle to get those people out. Really? Yeah. I mean, just because they're living there, they are automatically have rights. Like, you just can't kick them out because you own it, you know. Yeah, people do that. And I actually – here, I'll give everyone – you guys can go try this if you want. But don't say you learned it from me. Oh, okay. <laughs> but if you put a, a master lease in place yeah. before you put the property under contract with the, and you got the right to sublease, why not? You could do a short-term, month-to-month lease, right? Yeah, you could absolutely do that. I mean, even here, if you purchase the property, the lease transfers with the property. So maybe your exit strategy is to an investor after you get the short sale approval. I don't have the cojones for that, man. No, no, I don't either. I mean, I like my freedom. I know, man. I'd be so worried that it would come back to haunt me. Right. I've researched it. And see, what you get around that, what you're actually getting around, what you're skirting around is what's called rent skimming. Yeah, like uh, equity it's, it's, skimming. Well, yeah. <laughs> not not really. But there's actually yeah, a portion. Whenever you in the, in use the, the word tax. "get around" or "skirt uh-huh. around," then yeah. you know it's kind of a red flag. <laughs> oh, totally, totally. We get well, around that yeah. with <laughs> right. You know, rent skimming tax code says you know that the owner, 
if they're delinquent, not making their financing payments, they can't collect rent. Hmm. But it says nothing about a lessee in that right. tax code. Right. That was that was where I, I I found the loophole, but I never had the cojones to to try it. But I said I did find the loophole. <laughs> anyway, well, I, all right, let's get back to <laughs> straight let's get narrow. Off that topic. Uh, yeah, let's get off that straight topic. narrow. <laughs> Matt, if you were dropped in a new city, and mm-hmm. it's funny, I was in LA the other day speaking. And I made the statement, if you were to drop me in the middle of, I don't know, the armpit of California, Bakersfield or something. And I got all these, ooh. So, I went, oh, man, I should have picked a city in New York or something like that. <laughs> not, not Bakersfield, California. Uh-huh. I used to live in Bakersfield, so I, I think I can say that. But You can if you live there. That's allowed. Okay. All right. Good. I badmouth real estate agents all the time because I was a real estate agent, so right. I feel like I have the right. Any, anybody from Bakersfield, I apologize. And we we had a great podcast interview, by the way, with Michael Quarles, who lives in Bakersfield, one of our first podcasts. And he's mm-hmm. the guy who does the yellowlettermail.com. And mm-hmm. uh, there's people that are listening and are interested in yellow letters. There's nobody does it cheaper. I think you can, if you put my name in as a coupon code, you get 10% off with that guy. I don't make any profit from recommending him. He just does a real good job. He does postcards mm-hmm. too now and yellow letters, but he makes a t- killing right now in Bakersfield doing very, very well. And he sends out a gazillion pieces of mail every month mm-hmm. for, so he knows what's works and what doesn't. You can see the numbers. All right. So let's say you were dropped in, uh, what's St. Louis, St. Louis, a godforsaken <laughs> town, St. Louis, Missouri. <laughs> Got it. All right. So, what would you do? How would you start making money in real estate? Let's see. How would I start making money? Well, first I want to be – always start with the end. Start at the end. So you got to identify what your exit strategy is going to be. Good. Is this going to be a buy and hold market? Is it going to be a fix and flip market? Is it going to be a lease option market? What is it going to be? Yeah. So probably interview uh, realtors, get access to the MLS, and, and check out what sales history is, what the market activity is doing. Once that was set in place, first thing I'd do is hit – all of the real estate investor clubs. Mm-hmm. I'd probably, if I wanted to produce the result really fast, I would look for the, the wholesalers that were doing business. And I'd start asking around that way. That'd be the first thing. And the second thing, well, probably at the, not the second thing, but I'd do these t- two things simultaneously. Yeah. Is I would, I would launch that yellow letter campaign. I get a 15, maybe even 20% response on my yellow letters here in California. That just blows me away, especially to pre-foreclosures. I mean, I, I know guys here in St. Louis doing short sales who can't stand sending letters to pre-foreclosures. Really? Yeah, they no. just get really bad response rates because too well, many people you know, are doing I, it. Go ahead. Oh, really? Yeah, I don't – wow, I don't know. <laughs> I get people that are so – oh, this is, cause, or, this is such a cute little letter. Oh, you guys, oh, you want to buy a house? Oh, okay, so tell me about it. We get, uh, I get a lot of those kinds of calls. Excellent. You know what those yellow letters though, just by the nature of of getting in and doing a deal. Yeah. If you do it right and you're communicating with everybody and and I always I I'm a big proponent that you're always sharing your success. Like when someone like you guys do it on the show. So what's the deal of the week? Like always talk about your your deal. Always it's it's an indirect way of letting people know that you're in real estate investing and you're successful at it. Yeah. And when you get that type of energy around you and you do that what happens is you start getting phone calls and of stuff that just comes your way that you didn't even know about. So yes, the yellow letter, it's going to take me 30 calls to go through before I find the one deal. But through that whole process of completing that deal, I'll pick up another deal somewhere. Hmm. 
I really believe in you know communication can uh, proliferate or yeah pro- proliferates and, and it builds your business just by like, hey I'm doing this I'm doing that and I got this going on and this going on and I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that I mean there's a little doubt but I wouldn't be surprised at all that by me just talking on the phone to, or on this podcast today and someone hears it says hey I got a building in Memphis or I got this in Danville and you know what I mean yeah. Just by sharing that information everywhere you go and not bragging and not being arrogant about it. But, you know, people ask, what's up? How's it going? People ask you that every single day. So rather than just saying the same old, same old or nothing, uh, yeah, whatever. You know what I mean? How everyone responds. Go ahead and tell them how your day's going. Good. It's like they asked. So tell them. So I really believe in that. I forgot what you asked me. I got off on a tangent. Sorry about that. So you're in St. Louis. In and, St. Louis. And you're sending yellow letters to pre-foreclosures, which I would suggest maybe considering if you're in St. Louis, also sending letters to another group, maybe uh, absentee owners with equity or something like that. I don't know. Sure, sure. No, okay. I mean, I, we do all the lists, but I've just got most of my deals from the pre-foreclosure in California. Cool. All right. And I would quickly discover that, and that's one of the things about real estate investing. I mean, you've or anything for that matter, you find something that's not working, you got to make some adjustments. You know, it's feedback. Like, this isn't working. Well, this and doesn't... It, it's seasonal, too, almost. Not like in the seasons of the year, but there's times when short sales are just not doing too well or there's so much competition because some speaker just came through. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but it could be work after everybody gets discouraged and quits and there's one or two of you that are still doing it. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it's going to work again, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Yeah, it's true, true. Whatever the strategy is, I mean, it's just to pick one strategy. I think I believe in picking one acquisition strategy, how you're actually going to buy your property yeah. and become an absolute expert at it. Mm-hmm. When you become an absolute expert, like, for example, the lady that taught the uh, tax deed class, right. she was an absolute expert. All the buffoons that were in the auction house, those were all the jack-of-all-trade type people that are going to try the vesting strategy of the month. Yeah. They're the ones in there wasting their time, wasting their money, and that's where the competition is. The competition's there. But if you're an expert at what you do, then there is no competition, in my opinion. Huh. And as long as you're doing the right things, and you're doing them consistently, and you do them long enough, and you know, failure is really just, that's not an option. That's not going to happen. That's really good. All right, so you do some yellow letters, mm-hmm. start sending them out, then what? I've just dabbled in real estate, or excuse me, internet a little bit, but that's more of a longer term strategy, but that's what I would do. Okay. I really rely on my relationships, Joe. Yeah. I mean, that's really where my deals come from. It's it's a people business. I mean, I never did any direct mail until I gave the letter a shot. I said, okay, well, this is a deal or two a month for me, so I'll continue to do that. But I've tried so many other things before. I bought every little silver bullet that's ever existed, Yeah. you know, and to no avail. And whatever, in my opinion, whatever is working out there, it's not going to be for sale until it's not working anymore. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> so, and the one part about, you know, I, I try to be so real with the people on, on my podcast, like saying, you have to go talk to people. Yeah. And people won't leave their house. They mm-hmm. won't go and talk to them. Or they, when they do talk to them, they don't, they say funky stuff and it doesn't attract the right people to them. And then they say, oh, Matt, that, that doesn't work. Well, I was like, what did you say to him? How many times did you go? Like, you know, but that really is where it is. And what I've found about, about this business is that the more expensive a lead generation strategy is, typically the less productive it is. Hmm. You know, you can do these mass mailings, but 
you know, it's easy to spend five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten thousand dollars a month on materials and postage and labor. Yeah. And, you know, and you get a five percent return. But I can go to a real estate club and for absolutely free and talk to twenty people and find, you know, half a dozen doable deals. Yeah. That's a great return and it was free. That's good. So I think all the competition is out there where where they're the least resistance is. Like if you can just blast out postcards and blast out emails and blast out yellow letters, that's where all the competition is. So then it's just a spending game, like who can who can play the numbers the best and the longest. Yeah. And you go and you're no a likable and trustable and competent person inside of your real estate investment community. All of a sudden you're the go-to guy. And you covered that in that episode number 17 where you talked about you got to be an expert in your niche and mm-hmm. get good at something and then don't add anything to that until you're good at it. Right, right. That's key. You know, people, uh, the, when they try the, for example, the tax deeds. Okay, I went and did all this work and I, it was a, a, a miserable failure. Like I walked away with nothing. I had a great learning experience but no results. Okay, that doesn't work. Let me go. That was hard too. So that was a lot of really time consuming. Let me go try this other thing. Let me go work probate files. And you work that, and you're like, gosh, this is really hard. There's a lot of work here. And then you go try and do, okay, I'm going to talk to uh, apartment owners. Gosh, it's, this is really hard. It's hard to get them on the phone. Gosh, I'm going to go try something else. And you go to every single strategy. It's all the same. It's work, right. you know? Uh-huh. It, it takes it's diligence, it takes persistence, and you know, and it takes a time for you to actually learn what in the hell you're gonna do and how and how it works. And that's why I always recommend just become it, just pick one, just pick one and become an expert at it because they're all the same. They're all hard in their beginning. There's all stuff to learn. There's all you're gonna lose money. You're gonna lose time. You're gonna get frustrated in every single strategy. So just pick one and become good at it. Good. You know. Very good advice. Very yeah. good. Well, just to tie up the coming to St. Louis thing, you'd send out these letters. You would do some short sales on these properties or just try to get them under contract and wholesale them. Is that what you'd do? I try to stay away from banks as much as possible right now. I'm always looking for the person that needs to sell as opposed to the person that wants to sell. The person that wants to sell is they just have an interest in selling and they're going to waste your time. Maybe there'll be a deal there. Maybe there won't be. Most of the time there's not, not for you as an investor. Right. But the person that needs to sell you know, people call them motivated sellers. And sometimes that's an ugly place to work. But I mean, you know, the word motivated has such a positive air about it in our society. Like, oh, I'm self-motivated. That's a good thing. But when you're talking about a motivated seller, there's something really crappy going on in that person's life that has them being motivated. Yeah. That's where the deals are. And that's where I can help someone. And that's also where I can carve out the best deal for myself. So when I go back to that bank scenario, like whether that's is an individual or it's a large financial institution if they don't need to sell there's not a deal there and that's why we're, my girlfriend and I are backing off short sales right now a little bit is that yeah the banks want to sell them but per their actions they certainly don't need to sell them yeah so the deals are getting thinner and thinner and thinner there right now and that might who knows the short sale rules and laws they change is I think every week so maybe that'll be different next month I don't know but for right now, they don't need to sell. So I don't really want to deal with banks anymore. The auctions, if they don't get their price at the auctions, you know, they just put it back in rotation. They put it up for auction next week. And with the REOs, you know, they sit there and they just wait. They just wait and wait and wait. And they got 50 offers. And they, after six months of getting offers, they'll pick the highest one. So I don't play with the banks anymore. 
are very limited unless I can see something clearly that's or if I got the inside scoop or an inside track with somebody. So I send out the yellow letters because I want to generate that conversation with the seller themselves, the person that actually can make the decision. Right. And, you know, it's just I need to just generate enough of those calls. And I know by doing that and knowing I'm completely aware that, you know, 29 out of those 30 calls are going to be absolute junk for me. Like, I know that's going to be a junk call, but I'm not looking for those calls. I'm looking for the one. And it's just a numbers game. So good. whether it's a short sale, like I'm really good with my exit strategies. So I like I recommend being a, an expert at the one acquisition strategy, but know all of your exit strategies. And if you do that, you can kind of field anything that really comes your way. So maybe it's going to be a good wholesale. Maybe it's going to be a good fix and flip. Maybe it's going to be a good buy and hold. Maybe it's going to be a good buy and hold that I wholesale to an investor. If you've got a good grasp on those exit strategies, you can make a deal out of a whole lot of stuff as long as the person that you're talking to needs to sell. Big difference between need to sell and want to sell. That's right. Oh, huge. And I got a friend, Christy, here in, in California, and she's a very good fix and flipper. I think she's got 10 deals or so right now in various stages of development. But she gets all of her deals off the MLS, which is filled with people, primarily people that want to sell, not a whole lot of need to sellers on there. Yeah. But she's got her fax 100 offers a day and then she's got to keep up with them she's got to track them i'm just like oh my god <laughs> someone shoot me um, <laughs> but you know what that's her strategy yeah. she's an expert at it she has the systems in place that she can manage it and it works for her she's very successful at it each strategy has you know it has different money requirements it has different time requirements it has different personality requirements you know like if you don't have the the tolerance to do paperwork do not do short sales right you know if you don't have a lot of money stay away from auctions well alex and i are pretty lazy too and yeah <laughs> what uh alex what percent of the deals that you do do you actually go see the house it's not very often but it, i mean it's interesting that you know matt brought that up and i wanted to actually ask you when is it that you say, okay, I'm going to go out there and talk to this person after you've pre-screened the crap out of them over the phone or found out what their motivating factor is or what? Yeah, I'll give it, everyone that's listening, I'll give everybody a gift. Here's my three questions of how I screen my calls. First of all, ring, 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 they call us and they say something to the fact, hey, I got this yellow letter, I got this postcard or I saw your ad or whatever. I said, great, awesome, so tell me about your situation. And I just listen. And... As they're telling me, I, I'm relating with them. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know how that feels. Oh, yeah. You know, just just creating that rapport. you gotta, you got to develop your people skills. So I just let them talk and talk and talk. And, and if anything in there inspires a question, I'll go ahead and ask another question based off of something that they said. But you got to make sure that you're listening. Everybody wants to be listened to, and everybody likes people that listens to them. So if you know that, you know, if you just stay in tune with that very first question and finding out what their situation is, that's first. Then after that conversation has kind of died and they've told you everything, the next question is, what do you want to have happen? You got to know what they want because you can't give it to them unless you know. And that's where you're going to get a deal is, is by giving them what they want. And so once they tell you and you just stop and you just listen, 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 don't mess it up and start interrupting them and over-talking them and asking them all kinds of questions about the house. It doesn't really matter at this point anyway. And then the third question is, Great. If we were able to come to an agreement that was mutually beneficial to both of us, 
when would you want to sell? And if they don't say something like, I need this thing sold yesterday, I'm, or I need this headache out of my out of my life ASAP. If I don't hear something like that, if I don't hear real urgency, they're going to get a really limited amount of my time from that point on. Really? So you don't think that could be a seller? You know how people, I mean, I've dealt with sellers up to the foreclosure, right? Where they thought they had negotiating power when they had like hours before the auction still, (laughs) you know? (laughs) And that's something that is an ultra motivating factor. You're going to lose everything and you're standing here negotiating with me still. (laughs) Yeah. You know, but then again, there could be people that really have something going on, but they don't want to tell you right away over the phone. You know what I mean? They don't want to give that up. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your first example, that first person that's got five hours before his house goes to auction, he's still in his mind. He doesn't need to sell. He's still, I don't need to do this. (laughs) I want to, and I'm going to try and get the best deal I can, but he's still in that want phase. Right. You know, that just eliminates him. He just wants to. So I don't spend time with them. Now, the other part, asking that question up front, that first one, what's your situation? Mm -hmm. If, If you're a good listener, and this is one of my big recommendations for everybody, this being a people business, you have to develop people skills. And it's just that. It is a skill. And you need to practice that skill as much as you need to practice your yellow letter writing skill. <laughs> you know, you really do. You can't underestimate that. There's so much power in that. If you can ask that one question and, and create a situation where this person feels listened to, you've made them feel important, you've made them feel like, hey, it's not that big of a deal. It happens to everybody. I've been there. You start relating with them like that. You start building that rapport and you become likable and you become trustworthy and you've been able to convey your competence, I get good answers to those second and third questions. That's good. Certainly there might be someone there that's, you know, being a little protective and that's normal. But you know what? If you don't want to be helped, if you don't want to give the information, then I can't help you. So you must not need to sell. Right, right, exactly. That's just how I identify it. And yeah, Alex, you're right. I probably there might be some deals I miss out on. But you asked me how often would I get out of my house and go drive to their, to their house to go look at it. Those are, that's the answer I need for me to get out of my house and go look at it. Right, right. So again, those three questions are what's your situation? What's your situation? You're not asking, tell me about the house, right? You're saying, no. what's uh-uh. your situation? Uh-uh. I want to know about the, their situation. I want to know what their motivation is. Two, I'm asking, what do you want to have happen? Right. And three, if we could come to an, a mutually beneficial agreement... How soon would you want to move? Nice. And to say, oh, you're not yeah, even but... asking price. No, because uh-uh. if they need to move now, I can arrange something. I've been educated enough in real estate investing that I can do something creative that makes it work. Mm-hmm. Even if they need some cash right now, or you know, even if they want more than what their house is worth, you know, I buy houses in two ways. This is what everyone I've ever pushed into a corner. And you guys can write this down. This is the greatest one-liner I ever had, and it's made me so much money. Is uh, I buy houses in two ways. I'll give you your price on my terms, or we do my price on my terms. So you're talking about 100% finance, full price with 0% interest? Yeah, I'll pay. I'll, I'll give you an all-cash deal, but it's going to be 50% my terms. Or you know what? I'll, I'll give you your price on my, in my terms. So it's like uh, this deal in Compton. The house is probably worth three hundred thousand. I think I gave her four hundred thousand. 
It's a principal-only loan, amortized over 40, balloon in 10. Owner financing? Is that what you said? Uh-huh. Nice. But she wanted $400,000 for it. I said, okay, great. Will you, will you take it over, over 10 years? Okay. All right, good. I'm just going to amortize it over 40 if you don't mind. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I've got a cash-flowing beast that I didn't put a dime into. Nice. Yeah, that's so, important. That's really important. Your price on my terms or my price on your terms? And your terms for the seller would be a quick closing, something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Well, my mind is going more and more as being focused on what you call it, uh, on holding. Yeah. I'm moving away from the, the wholesaling and the fix and flip, unless there's just a big chunk of cash there that's going to allow me to go turn that into cash flow somewhere else. Right. So... I'm always looking for terms. I'd rather have the terms. We had a great interview with Michael Jake you might want to listen to recently. Mm -hmm. He has 92 properties, um, and he's buying houses at 90% of current market value. And you might look at that and think, you're crazy. Well, mm -hmm. no, because he has a great property manager, his wife, mm -hmm. and he's buying these things, these homes in Colorado Springs, just great, really, really good areas. And they're cash flowing. And what he's doing with that extra cash He's paying down the principal. So he's paying down these things twice as fast as normal. And his goal mm -hmm. is, you know, in the next five to ten years, have, I forget what he said, 30-something uh, free and clear properties. And he can do that mm -hmm. doing what he's doing. And he's never going to have a problem filling these properties because of the great location that they're in. So, yeah, that's key. That's really good. Mm -hmm. Well, awesome, Matt. We sure appreciate this hour and a half or so that you've been with us. And those three questions are great. I hope everybody wrote those down. It's not like I used to write these real long, fancy scripts, you know, that I'd try to memorize. Like if they say yes or they say no, then go here. And if they say yes to this question, then go here. And if they say, but I just simplified my script a year ago or so where I just said, you know what? I just wrote down some questions. And all I did is I wrote down five or six questions to ask, and that's my script. It's really easy. Now that I've memorized those, it's, you know, mm -hmm. one of my well, favorite scripts another... is shut up here's... and let them talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Exactly. Here's another thing that I do, like, because my next, like, if I'm at the house, I got a list of, like, 25 questions. Yeah. And and I don't I haven't bothered memorizing them. So even if you have your six questions, even if you're just starting out and you've developed, okay, this is where I want to lead them to. Yeah, you, know, you can preface the whole conversation. I show up with my clipboard and say, I have a series of questions that I'm going to ask you. It's the same questions I ask everybody. You know, I just I write them down and I read right from the paper because I want to make sure that I don't miss anything, particularly anything that might cost you some money or an opportunity. Is that okay if I just read them from my list? Hmm. All of a sudden, you don't have to memorize anything. That's good. They're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, better read that because I don't want to lose any money. Yeah, that's very good. I like mm -hmm. that. Cool. How can people find out about you, Matt? Let's see. I'm at the, on iTunes. Since everyone's listening on iTunes, that'd probably be the easiest place. Epic Real Estate Investing. Good. And I've got a free course that I'm providing to all my listeners. And you can go to freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. Excellent. Freerealestateinvestingcourse.com. And you can get uh, it teaches you everything that I do, everything that I say, all the contracts, everything that I use. And I've got videos and everything there. And that's, that's yours 100% free. No strings attached. You have a, an event coming up, don't you? Or did you just hold it on um, this whole topic of cash flow or cash now, right? Right, right. Yeah, I just uh, actually just completed that. I just did three of them over the last few months. So we'll probably be doing those again in the, in the next year. So if you get on my mailing list at, at the free real estate investing course .com, you'll certainly be kept up to date. Cool. 
Well, anything final, Alex, that you want to ask Matt before we end this call? No, I think I think we're good. I think you know people need to realize about when it does come to talking to sellers that shut up and let them talk is definitely key because you could steamroll people into saying things that they don't want to necessarily say or just close them up. I mean, the key is just listen, let them talk. Well said. Good. Everybody go to realestateinvestingmastery.com. We do, by the way, have transcripts of these podcasts that we're coming out with. And in fact, I got about six or no, I got about six or seven of them I, I need to put on the website. I haven't done yet, but hopefully when you're, by the time you're listening to this, we'll have some transcriptions of these podcasts and also check out our bonus of the fast cash survival kit. A lot of really good free information on there too. So, Hey, thanks a lot, Matt. We really, really appreciate it. Hey, you bet. Thanks guys. Thanks Alex. Thanks Joe. Nice meeting you guys. And, uh, have to have you over on my show. Well, that'd be good. Yeah, definitely. All right. Cool. We'll definitely do that. Take we'll care. put that in the books. All right. See All you right. guys. Bye-bye. Take Bye. care.